Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We just started the brand new series, and we started last week, and we're only going, it's only a three-week series, and so we started last week, we'll be done next week. Uh, we're calling this series Attacking God, and I'm hoping that you're looking very carefully at the graphics, because our graphics for this were very intentional. They're, the graphics are very intentional, uh, but we started this, so just so you know, uh, we'll go right back to the book of Romans. We're going right back to Romans after next week, and, and for me, I grew up in a church uh, with great pastors where, man, we just studied through books week after week, and we just studied through books, and that's all I've ever known, and to be perfectly honest, it's probably what I'm better at as opposed to a series like this, uh, but these are great reminders. This is not my strength to teach when we're talking about more topics, but it's a great reminder for me simply because we don't have any models in the scripture where Jesus sat down with a group and taught through the book of Isaiah. Like, we don't see that. That, that. Jesus always used the scriptures for sure. We're, man, we're committed to the scriptures, but we'll go right back to Romans after next week. We'll be right back into it. But this series we call Attacking God. And the reason that we're starting this series, there's been something really interesting that's happened in our country over the last, I'm just going to say 20, 20, 20 years, 20 some odd years. Right after 9-11, uh, there were a group of writers who came out, and they were kind of called the New Atheists. Four of them were, were kind of all chummy chummy, and they called themselves the Four Horsemen. One of those writers was a man named Richard Dawkins. He's just one of the four of these New Atheists, and he wrote a book called The God Delusion. And in The God Delusion, man, he took everything that he believed about atheism, and he just sharply, uh, just sharply, sharply, sharply pointed it at religion. And I'll just say this broadly, grossly, he pointed it at all religion. And a statement in his book that was so interesting, he said this, if this book works as I intend, which is very interesting, because now you have a writer who's going to tell you, these are my intentions. This is exactly what I want this book to accomplish. He says, if it, if it works as I intend, religious, just broadly, he doesn't single out Christians, he just says religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. Now this is one of, four, one of these four kind of four horsemen they call themselves. And as a result, as a result of their writings, well, first of all, you can imagine, these guys instantly became just big stars. And they're on all the nighttime television. And they're on all the, you know, they're all over YouTube. And these guys just were big names, big names, big names. And they got a lot of attention. And as a result of their writings and what was going on at that time, a great number of Americans started migrating away from religion. And I'll say this again because it wasn't just Christianity. I have a good Muslim friend, and he tells me, he says, you know, my kids don't practice Islam like I do. They haven't embraced it as I do. And this is true in so many religions that people were just migrating away. And usually when people migrate away from something, they migrate towards something else. I mean, that's just normal. If I walk away from this side of the room, I'm necessarily walking toward that side of the room. Only in this case, that's not what happened. People were migrating away from religion. That's all. They were just migrating away from religion. And it's began to spawn, it spawned a group that we now call today the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S nuns. And the nuns are saying, we're not affiliated with anything. We're non-affiliated. The nuns are about 23% of the population today. It's about 35% of millennials. It is predominantly males. It is predominantly higher educated. And they've just said this, which is very interesting to me. We're not really hostile toward religion. We're just not affiliated with. We're just not affiliated with. Now, again, I would say this is happening across the board. This has happened to all religions. And 
It's very, very interesting to me. I can't speak for other religions. I can't tell you why Muslim children are not embracing Islam. I can't tell you that. I don't know why Mormons' children with the same passion aren't embracing Mormonism. I can't, I can't tell you about Buddhists. I can't tell you about any of those things. However, I say this, I've been following after Jesus significantly, like it's been the, the all-encompassing thing in my life, since I was about 16 years old, right? Since that time, I've been a practicing Christian, and, and I jokingly say this today, I'm a professional Christian. Like, this is what I do for a living. I'm a Christian, you know? And so I can't explain it. I can't explain it for Christianity. I can tell you, give you my, my opinion. I have strong convictions about why, why some of the children of Christian parents are migrating away from Christianity and just becoming nuns. And I will tell you this. When we see this happen, look, nobody's reading, first of all, nobody's looking at atheism and studying atheism and going, man, that just makes me feel warm. Wow, that gives me a lot of hope. I just feel great about that. Nobody's saying that. They're just moving away from Christianity. I would also tell you this. Nobody's studying Jesus. Nobody's looking at the life of Jesus. Nobody's reading the words of Jesus. Nobody's seeing what Jesus did and saying, I'm not down with that. There's no way. I don't, I don't like this whole idea of let's take care of the poor and the widows. I, I don't feel good about that. I don't like taking care of the marginalized. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's disagreeing. There was a period of time where some people would deny the existence of historical Jesus. Nobody, nobody today with any credibility denies the historical Jesus. Nobody. Okay, so what's the issue? I would just tell you this. It's typically not the message. It's the messengers. And I think as the church, man, we've got to take a long, hard look at that. We've got we to understand that. Right? There's, there's a reason. Now, the other thing I would tell you is this, that sometimes people like me, maybe well-meaning pastors, maybe it's a well-meaning Sunday school teacher, maybe it's well-meaning parents or well-meaning friends, <clears throat> I, think we, I think we miscommunicate who Jesus is. I think we've miscommunicated. I think that's a possibility. I think that's one of the reasons that people are migrating away. But I will also tell you this, that I think the reality is that sometimes when people just aren't getting it, like they're not getting the Je I think we communicate to them an American Jesus. I think we give them the American version of who Jesus is. I think that's a bad picture, right? Uh, one other thought, though, that I want to plant in your head just a little bit, and that is this. We tend to create our own image of God. We tend to follow a God we want to follow. We tend to follow, oh, I like that idea of God, so I'm going to latch on to that, right? There's a stain that I put up here for you last week, and it's this, God created man in his own image, and man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. <laughs> and a lot of times we do that. We create this God that we want. This is the God we want. It's really interesting. I was just talking to somebody who's here this morning. I was just talking. He's like, I was reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible. And I came to see who this Jesus is. And you know, most of us don't do that. And so we have this image in our head of who God is. And so we started breaking that down last week. And we talked about, if you remember, bodyguard God. And a lot of folks worship bodyguard God. And bodyguard God, and we joke about it, but bodyguard God is the God who says, hey, listen, if you believe in me, if you believe there's a God, if you go to church, if you're a good church folk and you do a lot of churchy things, and maybe you serve in your church and maybe every once in a while you drop a coin in the bucket, then here's the deal. Bad things don't happen to you. And not only do they not happen to you, but they don't happen to people who are close enough to you where it would hurt you. That was bodyguard God. And so we took a look at that. We broke that down. And today we're going to look at another God. And this God is really, really closely related. That's why I want to cover him on back-to-back -back weeks. This God is so closely related. It's slightly different, but it's very closely related to bodyguard God. And today we're looking at this on-demand God. That's what we're looking at today. 
And we laugh about it, we joke about it, but I'm telling you, you're going to see how this has crept into a lot of our own personal theology. And we kind of believe in this on-demand God. We live in an on-demand culture, and we're just used to it, so we just take that up to heaven, and we say, oh, my God is on-demand God. On-demand God says this, if you believe in God, and you go to church, and you're a good person, now, let's be honest, who in the room right now isn't a good person? Now, come on, I mean, right? We're all good people. Right? That's what we think. If you're a good person and you ask for something reasonable, I'm not saying crazy, you ask for something reasonable, God will answer your prayer. God will at least do for you what you would do for someone else. Simple. You ask for something good. You ain't asking for something crazy. You, you, like, you're just asking for a date, right? Maybe you're not even asking for a date for you. You're asking for a date for your kids because you want some grandkids. That's all right. But you're asking for a date. Like, you're, you're not asking for the world. You're just asking for a date. If you had that power and you, had, you knew somebody well, you, you'd do that for them, right? You'd do that for them. Well, then God should do that for us. That's on-demand God. But the que- I mean, it's reasonable. We joke about it, but it seems reasonable. But the question that I have is still this. Who told you that? Who told you that there was on-demand God? Who told you that God has to answer your prayers? It's as if God is in some way obligated just because you ask that God has to, just because it's something you would do for your friend, just because it's something you really want. Who told you that? Who said God has to just jump when you say jump? And he says, how high? And he answers all your prayers. Like, that, that's a giant misnomer. It's a, again, we've created this God that we want. And so part of what we have to do, to be perfectly honest, is, look, you don't need to believe in the, in, in the God that I come up with. And I'm not going to believe the God you come up with. We need to look at a biblical God what, what does God reveal to us himself? We need to kind of wipe the slate clean, and we need to look at, the, at what the Bible says. Now, I tell you this, and I told you this last week. This is my agenda. My agenda, number one, is for us to, like, clean up our theology. My agenda is for us to have a biblical view of God. My, my, my agenda is to help us correct our view of God and how we think about God and how we relate to God. But if I'm really honest, in full disclosure, this is what I'm really hoping, and this is my full agenda, and I'm just going to be really blunt about it. I know that there's some of you in the room who still are in the room, or you're online and you're still online, but you've moved far away from God. And truth be told, you would say, I might be a nun. But you still happen to show up. You got friends here, it's a habit, you've been doing this forever. I, I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you as I prepared this. And further, I think there's a good chance, because this is what I prayed for, I believe there's a good chance that there's some of you who popped into the room today, or you popped online today, and you're watching online, and you don't normally watch online, but you turned something on today, and you're watching today, and you've already left. But you just were, and you just popped back in, and somebody invited you, and somebody asked you, and you said, okay. I mean, I don't buy into it, but I'll go with you. And so here's my hope. My, my full-blown agenda is this. That you'll, you'll walk away. See, if, if you walked away from on-demand God, I just got to tell you, you can't believe how glad I am that you walked away from on-demand God. Because on-demand God doesn't exist. We say this, that's not the God of the Old Testament. He's not the God of the New Testament. That's the God of the No Testament. That is a God that does not exist. If you walked away from bodyguard God, if you walked away from on-demand God, I'm excited for you. I'm just saying, hey, let's, let's examine Let's examine the God of the Bible, not the God of your opinion, the God of my opinion, the God of what makes me feel warm and co- cozy. 
I'm saying, let's look at the God of the Bible. This is Jesus talking to John 14. And just so you understand the context of John 14, this is Jesus. And now it's coming toward the end. And Jesus has been talking to his own disciples. And he's been telling them that he's going to go away. And he's been telling them, it's not going to be real good for me. Things aren't going to go real well for me. He's telling them that. But he's also told them, look, the ministry that I've started, you guys have seen what I've done. You've seen what I've been up to. You've, you, you've watched me. You, you've seen me in action. The stuff that I've started, the work that I've started is going to continue through you. That's what he's telling. That's the whole context of John 14. And now he says this, I tell you the truth. After he's told him, I'm leaving. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works. Now let's just stop and let's just look at this for a minute. First of all, you know this if you've been here for any period of time. This word here is, is, is a tricky word. It's, it's a big word to me. It's, it's, we think of believe as in I believe there's actually a God. I don't know. I believe there's a God. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying here, if you happen to think, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a God. There's a God. I believe that. No, 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 no. It's the Greek word pistis. Pistis is translated believe or faith. What pistis really means is this. It means trust. It means if you really trust in me, as would be evidenced by the way you live your life, not like, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't know. I'm an American and I'm not Buddhist, so I must be a Christian. You know, no, he's saying, if you believe that I'm God, if you live your life consistent with a manner, how many of you know this? We got a lot of folks that say they're Christian, but when we watch us live, like, that doesn't seem right to me. How many of you see it in yourselves? Yeah, because I'm there, I'm with you. There are times I'm like, ooh, I hope nobody that knows me saw me. I would tell you this, I'll tell you this really quick, because I think I've told you this, but it's a story we always laugh about. Kimmy and I were at Home Depot, and uh, I was shopping for, my old tool belt had worn, no, I don't have a tool belt, but we were at Home Depot, and we, we got to get a planter, this, you know, big new planter, and so we're just acting like two idiots, man. We're in the store, we're just, like, aren't we, we're just like, rah, rah, rah. we're doing that thing. Well, not me, but I mean, we, you know, and so, and so we're just like, rah, rah, rah. we're kind of doing that thing. And we're standing in the line now. We got our big planter. We're standing in the line. A girl comes up from behind us. It's our turn now. We've been waiting this long line. It's our turn. And she goes, oh, no, pastor, pastor, I must pay for your planter. And we're like, somebody was that close to us. Somebody saw us acting like idiots. I mean, you remember, I mean, we always joke about that. It's like, it's one of the reasons we try to do as much, as much shopping or whatever right in our neighborhood. Because <laughs> we are accountable. We've all done that. We've acted like crazy people, right? But he says this, if you really believe in me, if you really trust me, if that's how you live your life, right? You will do the same works I've done and even greater works. Are you kidding me? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, have you read about some of the things Jesus has done? Like, he's saying, you'll do even greater works. Now, let me give you an understanding of that. I don't believe for a minute that Jesus meant necessarily, you'll do more sensational things than I've done. You'll do more miraculous things. I don't believe he meant that. And the simple reason I say that is, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you know somebody who healed a blind person? Go ahead, raise your hand. How many? Yep, great. How many of you know somebody who healed, uh, raised somebody back to life? Yeah, I mean, just as a general rule, we don't see that. But I will tell you this, read the stinking book of Acts. Read Acts. 
You only have to get to chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter jumps up into the street because people are kind of freaking out. Peter jumps up into the street and he just proclaims the gospel. You have killed the Son of God. He's the risen Savior, I'm telling you. And he gets all done and they say, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? And he says, believe and get baptized. And it says, there were added to their number that day 3,000 people. Now listen, this is crazy. Jesus never did that. We never saw Jesus. Jesus never spoke, and all of a sudden, 3,000 people turned their lives over. What, what he's saying here is, I think you'll do greater things in magnitude. Not more miraculous. Not necessarily more miraculous. If you read through the book of Acts, you keep reading, and then 5,000 were added to their number that day, and 3,000, right. Greater in magnitude. He says, even greater works. And then he goes on, and he said, because, why, why? Because I'm going to be with the Father. What does that mean? When Jesus goes to the Father, who does he send? Oh, snap, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to the Father. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, you're going to do things even in a greater magnitude than I am if you really trust me and live your life accordingly. Then he goes on and he says, you can ask for anything in my... Oh, that's going to be inconvenient for me right now. <laughs> he says it right there. He said it. Ask for anything. Ask for anything and I'll do it. Just ask anything. Yeah, but there's a condition in here. He says, you've got to ask anything in my name. In my name. Well, that's easy, because all we've got to do now is we go, blah, 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 make me rich, make me rich, in Jesus' name. <laughs> like, we've made it this formula. And I'm guilty, but I always pray, in Jesus' name. Like, now it has to happen. No, 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 no. That's not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' name means a couple things. Number one, it's like an endorsement. It's like a signature at the bottom of the check. I have the name of Jesus on this, Right? But number two, it really means it, it, there's a limitation on it. It's limited to those things which were, are in accordance with my will. That's what he's really saying. You can't pray in Jesus' name to have revenge on someone. You, you can't pray in Jesus' name for something to corrupt to happen. You can't pray in Jesus' name that I'm going to be a big star and there's gonna be, everybody's going to know my name. That's not a prayer in Jesus' name. I mean, this is the test of any prayer in Jesus' name, is does this align with the will of God? Now, here's what I know for sure. It is the will of God that all would come to know Jesus. Now, when I pray for someone to come to Jesus, I say, Father, I know this is within your will, and I pray this in the name of Jesus, with the endorsement of Jesus, in accord with Christ. Like, you can pray that stuff in the name of Jesus. Then he goes on and he says, so that, here's another because, so that, so that. Ask in his name and he'll do it. So that the Son will bring glory to the Father, so that the Father would be glorified. That's in the name of Jesus. Here's my question when we pray, what's your motive? What's my motive? Is it really the glory of God? Sometimes is it just for our comfort? Is it for our ease? Is it for our glory? If I'm really honest, I know there are things that I've prayed and I was like, that's going to make me look awesome. <laughs> right? Don't we do that sometimes? In the name of Jesus. All right, James, the brother of Jesus, he, prayed this, he, he wrote this. He says, you want. This is a, so much of it about it's wanting. You want what you don't have. There's the problem. And he said, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you, you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You're asking for it. You're asking for it, Right? He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it, but he's not done. 
He says, and even when you do ask, you still don't get it. You're not getting it. Why is that? Because. Here's another because. Because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Like, it's just natural. I get it. But I battle the motive thing when I pray. I just battle that. If you're honest, I think a lot of us battle that. Why are we really praying this? Is this for the glory of God? If it's truly for the glory of God, believe and by faith, God will just believe, just continue to believe. God is going to do this. It's in accordance with the will of God. You know, this is, these are times when, because here's what I know. I know some of you are praying for things, and it's not happening. Like, it's not happening. And, you, and we're praying for a variety of things. Some of you are just praying for a better job. I get that. Some of you are praying for a date. I get that. Like, that's real. But let's be really honest, man. Some of you are praying that your spouse is going to be healed. Like, some of you are praying for a restored marriage and it's still not happening. So some of you have a child that is sick, a spouse that is sick, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and it's not happening. And now you feel like, but God, that was the deal. Because we believe in this on-demand God. It's frustrating, man. It's just, it's just crushing you. I get that. I get that. I've said this a million times, man. I'll never forget it. I will never forget the day I came home at 16 years old, and our house was empty. My brother's gone. My sister's gone. I have an older brother and sister. I'll never forget it, man. My father's sitting there in the house. And I say, Pop, where's everything at? He says, Buddy, your mom left. I said, What do you mean she left? He says, Partner, she's not coming back. And I prayed and prayed, and I prayed, and I shook my fist at God, and I prayed some more, and I prayed some more. And I'm like, man, when is that prayer getting answered? I follow Jesus now. Where is on-demand God? Because we don't say that, but I get it, man. I feel your pain. There are folks that are watching online today, and you can't even come back to the building yet because it's so painful for you. And what you're saying is, I've asked, and I've asked, and I've asked. It's so hard. I, I, I feel you. I feel your pain. I get it. And I have been there. And I'm not the only one who's been there. I would imagine, man, if you're any age at all, you, you've all been there. You've all prayed and believed, God, you got to do this. God, you got to do this. God, you got to heal my kid. God, you got to, God, I'm asking you. God, I call myself a believer. God, I go to church. God, I'm involved in the church. Come on, God. That's just hard. That stuff's just hard, man. I feel your pain. It's just tough. I love the prophet Isaiah. Because so much of this has to do with perspective, and we're going we're, we're gonna to kind of get there. So much of this has to do with our perspective. It really does. Prophet Isaiah says this. God speaking through Isaiah says, God speaking. God said, hey, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways, God is saying, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than there, you know how, you know how, how, how high the heavens are above the earth? Way high. And he says this, in that same way, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And we don't understand God. And we don't get it. And we don't know what God's up to. We don't have God's perspective. This isn't supposed to make it easy for you. I'm just saying we don't have God's perspective. I'm going to give you a couple things to think about. Listen to me. The Apostle Paul. Two-thirds of our New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Greatest church planter in human history. If you read the first chapter of Romans, Paul's talking about the church there. Right away in the introduction, Paul says, man, I've heard about you folks. You are awesome. You are the most awesome church. People hear about you all over the world. Folks are hearing about you, church in Rome. You guys are awesome. Paul had never been there. He wasn't going to get there for another three years. And Paul says, man, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to visit you guys. I can't wait to visit you. I can't wait to visit you. Did Paul ever get to Rome? Yep. You know how he got there? As a prisoner. In shackles. You know what God was saying? My ways ain't your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways aren't your ways. I have a plan. It's not your plan. It's not your way. The Apostle Paul. Here's another one for you. What about Joseph? Joseph's always one of my favorite examples. And Joseph, Joseph had a crazy perspective as a human. Joseph was, you know, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 13 kids. He had 12 sons. Second youngest, uh, second youngest was Joseph. Joseph goes out to see his brothers one day. They're all out working in the field. They beat the heck out of him. They beat the heck out of him. They threw him in the pit down on the ground. They're going to kill him. Reuben speaks up. Reuben goes, eh, we better not kill him. They see some traitors coming by. They're Ishmaelites, descendants of Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn son. They're coming down the road. They're headed for Egypt. They sell him as a slave. He's now in shackles. What's he done wrong? He hasn't done nothing wrong. He worships the God of his grandfather, Abraham. Now they take him down into Egypt. He's sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's kind of a big deal. He's a leader there. He's doing everything right. He's doing everything right. The Bible says Potiphar never even thinks about anything that's going on in his house because he knows Joseph is taking care of it. One day, Potiphar's wife, she comes on to Joseph. He's minding his own business. He says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not happening. And for that, what does she do? She accuses him to her husband and says, oh, that slave boy of yours, he was trying to take advantage of me. Now Potiphar's a good husband. What's he do? Well, he's got to throw him in jail. He was in jail for 14 years. 14 years in a really smelly, stinky, Egyptian, ancient prison. Right? Okay, now eventually when you get to chapter 45 of Genesis, all the family, now there's a big famine. And his brothers have still been up in the promised land, up in Canaan. They come down into Egypt to get grain. Joseph's out of prison now. He's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And he's overseeing this famine, and he runs into his brothers, and they don't even recognize him. Finally, he reveals himself. And you know what he keeps saying? No, no, no. God sent me here. No, no, no. God sent me here. No, no, no. You guys didn't. God sent me here. And then when you get to chapter 50, he says, you guys meant this for my harm. God meant it for your good. Like, that's a heavenly perspective. That, that's not, I'm not sure that's a perspective I could have had. I don't know that I could have done that. But I'm saying he had a totally different perspective. Let me give you one last one. The very, the very son of God. The very son of God. Doing exactly the will of his father. Doing exactly the will of his father. And now God's revealed him. And God's, he's known for all of eternity. He's known. He was to come to suffer and die. And so the night before, man, he's starting to feel the weight of it. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember this? We just talked about this on Good Friday. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples. And he's in prayer and his prayer and his prayer. What is he saying? God, I'm happy to do this. This is going to be awesome. I just can't wait to get on the cross. This is going to be the best day I've ever had. 
No, man, he, he understands the full weight of it. And what does he say? I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want to do this. I know it's your plan. I don't want it. I'm not good with your plan right now. And then he says this, but here's the deal. Not my will. Not my will. It's not about me. God, it's about your will. It's about your plan. It's about what you want. See, some of you have been praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't have an answer for you. I know it's painful. I know you're hurting. I know you're angry. Some of you are just flat out angry. I don't have a real answer for you. I'm saying God's perspective is different than our perspective. Our, our God is different. Here's how I would say, just in terms of perspective, look, we're finite. We're finite. And so our motives, our perspective, our wants are all finite. God is not finite. God is an eternal being. And so his motives are eternal. Think about that. When Joseph was in that prison, if Joseph doesn't, if Joseph doesn't go to prison, he doesn't get to Egypt. If he doesn't get to Egypt, he doesn't become the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. If he's not the second most powerful man, he doesn't take care of his family when they come down and they all die in the famine. You say, eh, not a big deal. Oh, it's a really big deal. Because one of the brothers is Judah. Did you just put that together? Where did Jesus come from? From the line of Judah. And you know what? Joseph never got to see it. It wouldn't be for almost another 4,000 years. Think about this. It wouldn't be another 4,000 years after Joseph was in prison that a group of people regularly gather in Bloomington, Minnesota and worship the living God and make the living God known in their communities. That doesn't happen for another 4,000 years. Like, what are we supposed to think? God, really? This is the way it's going, and you want to use this in 4,000 years? Let 4,000 years from now take care of themselves. I'm about me. Jesus hangs on the cross. It's not another 2,000 years till you and I get here. And if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't do it, None of us in this room get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And so, let me give you the big, well, let me give you this first. And I want you to have this perspective. God said no to Jesus so he could say yes to you. See, that's an eternal perspective. 2,000 years ago, he said no to Jesus. He had a plan. He had a plan. It wouldn't happen for another 2,000 years that you and I get here. But if he doesn't do that 2,000 years ago, not a one of us has a shot at eternity with the Father. We don't have a chance. It's perspective. It's an eternal perspective. So here's our big so what today. God's no to you. Why does God say no to you? What is God saying right now when he's not answering that prayer right now? What God's saying to you? And the answer is, I got a thing. And if I try to give you an answer right now, it feels petty and it's insulting and it's demeaning and it's almost more hurtful. I'm not giving you an answer because I don't have one. I don't, I don't know why God is saying no to you. I don't know why your spouse isn't healed. I don't know why your kid isn't healed. I don't know why my mom didn't come back. I don't know what's going on. I don't have an answer. What I cling to over and over and over and over is my life first. What I have claimed is my life first. Proverbs 3. Solomon tells us, trust, put your full weight in, completely depend on, live your life as if, right, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own knowledge. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. I was going to read this to you. I won't read it to you, but I just want to 
I want you to think about this in the book of Acts. Paul and Silas are working the streets, right? And uh, there's a girl there, and she's demon-possessed. And because of that, her life is hell. Can you even imagine? Her life is hell. And one day, Paul and Silas are in the streets, and, and, Paul, and they just yell at her. And they tell the demon to come out, and the demon came out of her right now. Can you even imagine how that would change your life? Like you're hurting yourself, you're throwing yourself into fires, you're doing all that kind of thing, and they said, come out, and that demon came out of her. Would, would you say that's a good thing? Would you agree with me that it's a good thing to cast a demon out of a person? Do you know what they got for it? They got beaten and they got thrown in prison. Now, how does that happen? Here's what I love, and this is where I'm so encouraged when I read this. You know what they did? They began praising God. And it says that other prisoners could, it wasn't like, they weren't doing this thing like, dear God, we kind of praise you, we just. Like they were yelling out, all the other prisoners heard them. And so this morning, i like us as a church to do that. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet. And here's what I know. I just know this, not because I'm a genius, because I'm 59 years old and I've been around a little while. And what I would say is this, man, if you're here this morning, that's you. And you're feeling that. You're mad, you're angry, you're frustrated. You don't have answers, I don't have answers. Nobody you know has an answer, thank you. Like we just don't have answers. But I'm gonna tell you, we're going to praise in the middle of that.